But I feel like that that moment where you you know where you lose control really, where you, you're kind of really handed over to us is I think is um, is a, it can be a tough moment. Um, and so I usually I either hold a hand or, or you know I'll, I'll I'll hold their foot or something yeah, and just to to let them know that that we're there that um, there there is a, a it's not a, a sterile connection that we have you know it's very much a human connection. This is the James Cancer Free World podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg. Welcome to our podcast. My guest today is Roman Skoraki, the medical director of the Stephanie Spielman Comprehensive Breast Center of the James. Roman is one of the leading oncology plastic surgeons in the world, an expert in microsurgery and cutting-edge surgical techniques that can prevent lymphedema in breast cancer patients and also reduce the symptoms and swelling in patients who already have lymphedema. We discussed this in episode 66 of the podcast and it was really fascinating, so give it a listen. And for this new episode, I thought it would be interesting to get to know all about Roman, his international background, how he got into medicine, and even some of his non-medical interests. And we'll also talk about his somewhat new role as medical director of the Spielman. It's been a little more than a year. And some of the new surgical and non-surgical advances in treating breast cancer. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Thank you. You know, I just... A few minutes ago, as I was waiting, I listened to episode 66, and it was really um, interesting to go back and remember all about the advances in your amazing surgery in lymphedema. Thank you. Thank you. I have to go back now. I have to review it as well. <laughs> you, you, you were excellent. Thank you. <laughs> so, like I said, I, I'm very curious to learn all about you. I don't know much about your background, I know a little bit. You were you were born in Germany and somehow ended up in medical school in Canada. So let's tell us about growing up and your parents and how you got interested maybe in science or medicine. Sure. Um. So yeah, I tell people I'm in the witness protection program. That's why I moved around so oh, much. Okay. But now I have to leave. No. Um. Yeah. I, I grew up. I was born and raised in Germany, uh, in Bavaria, central southern Germany, in a small town by Nuremberg. Um, and spent the first 13 years or so there. And then we moved to a, another town called Alzai, small town by, by close to Frankfurt, really, uh, kind of the western central part of Germany. Um, had a, a, a fantastic, wonderful parents, uh, extraordinarily um, supportive parents that uh, I think fostered just any interest. Um, and so I, I, I think I certainly owe them probably the, 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 the biggest uh, thanks and the, the, you know, the, the reason that I am where I am. Were either of them involved in science or medicine? Not at all. My No, not at all. My mother was in, in business and my father was in advertising. Um, so crea certainly creativity uh, from, from dad. And uh, But uh, I remember, I guess there was always, we, we had a fantastic basement kind of full of tools and my dad would uh, allow me to be in the basement, uh, fixing, trying to fix things from as as early as I can remember. Certainly before I was six years old, um, and so I think that that certainly kind of uh, woke the 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 engineering, the you know, kind of the scientific brain, and uh, and set me on the path that I that I started on. You know, you're not the first surgeon who's told me that <laughs> growing up, they like to take apart, yeah. put together things, yeah. and even woodworking, yeah, and absolutely I think that that 
just that dexterity and learning to take apart and, and how things work, it leads to being a surgeon? I, I, I think maybe it lays the early foundation. I think you're right. And, and also kind of seeing the, the fruits of your labor fairly immediately. Um, I think that, that all those things probably come together. I think that has a, has a big role to play. Yeah, that instant gratification of when you fix something and you right. turn the switch and it works. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't really right. know how to do that. So. <laughs> I'm not saying that that worked for me every time. Because <laughs> we did not have a workshop in, in our basement when I was growing up, so I'm not as handy as you are. Oh, well, so. you know, and, and again, I, I, thanks to my incredible parents. I mean, I think when I think back, uh, raising my two sons, uh, I, I don't think I was as, as liberal maybe with the with the power tools as early on as my father was. Um, but when we moved to the, the, the new city, my, my parents bought a business that they ran and it had an incredible metal shop. And uh, it was actually essentially at, at my disposal in the after hours. So I spent a lot of time on, on metal lathes with you know, welding equipment and, and, and presses and things like that. So it, it was really, I mean, an extraordinary youth. Well, what did you make in the metal shop? What didn't I make? <laughs> I mean, all kinds of, you know, it was kind of constantly trying to invent things. And then I, I was really interested in chemistry. That was my major and undergraduate uh, degree as well. Um, and so the combining kind of metal work with, with, um, with chemicals and there, there were some explosives. <laughs> all fingers are still there. <laughs> but so, so kind of combining, I think, engineering, chemical engineering, um, just a lot of a lot of fun, a, a wonderful youth, I would say. Now, where did you go to to college and begin your science training? So we we actually moved to Canada when I was in uh, grade eleven, uh, so sixteen, just about turning seventeen. Uh, we moved to Canada, Calgary. Um, oh, Calgary's uh, way kind of way out in the west. The, the western, yeah. exactly right. Kind of the foothills on the on the eastern foot slopes of the foothills of the Rockies. Very very similar in feel and look, I think, to Denver actually. Um, and so uh, we, we moved to moved to Calgary, and that's where I completed high school, and then went to uh, undergrad uh, at University of Calgary. Somewhere along the way, I uh, I think a friend of mine actually said, "I'm I'm really interested in medicine," and so we kind of started looking at this together, and uh, and and then I applied to medical school. Um, and in some ways, it really looking back, it seems like a um, kind of just, you know, being kind of in, in the river, kind of floating along, kind of, and, and thinking that was a good idea. Um, but did maybe you and your not... friend go to medical school together? We, we did not. We did not end up, no, we did not did end up going together. Did... <laughs> no, 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 he did. He did, okay. yeah. <laughs> um, you brought something up. I'm curious. When you moved here yeah. at, at 16 or 17 from Germany, how was your English? Um, I, I, I mean, terrible, probably. I, I thought it was reasonably good, but I'm sure my teachers didn't think so. Um, and I had wonderful teachers. I, I mean, I remember one of my high school teachers actually offering me the, the, the option of, of increasing my grade if I did a book report. Um, and so I actually took her up and I did a book report every week. I think I read one book and did a report, handed it in. And so I think that that's how I, how I certainly learned English, but also got through the class, I think. I think that teacher tricked you into learning English. <laughs> I think because right. she, she made you read and write. You're, and you're, you're so, absolutely right. She was brilliant. That was, she was a great trick. She was wonderful. She was a, just a very, very warm uh, teacher and, and, and brilliant. And, and yeah, I think had the intended effect. Yeah, yeah and it really worked. So, <laughs> so you sort of, not, I don't want to say stumbled, but you just sort of, like you said, the, the river flowed toward medical school. Right. And I know in, right. in talking to other doctors in medical school, you get immersed in 
every different speci- specialty and every part of the body and diseases. Where, talk about your medical school career and, and how you sort of decided this is the area or areas I want to go into. Yeah, and I, you're absolutely right. I think it was just, uh, again, being incredibly fortunate and, and having exposure. Um, being able to be in a medical school where, where early exposure was uh, was was part of the curriculum was built in and and so just seeing uh, physicians in, in in their different roles but also not just in, not just in the operating room but being able to go to clinics with them and 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 just getting to know them a little bit as, as human beings helped tremendously because I think you you do kind of see a, a, a little bit of a mirror you know you find the, the the person or the people that you kind of that resonate with you i guess mentor uh, right exactly right exactly right and certainly that happened for me and and more on the surgical side initially than the medical side i, I found medicine incredibly fascinating i mean it was complicated and complex and and and, and just extraordinary to learn about the body um, and there, I, I could absolutely see myself as a nephrologist, for example, or endocrinologist. I just love the the, detec- the detective work, kind of of those specialties. Um, but ultimately, it was really surgery that 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 captivated me and drew me in. A specific side of surgery, or just general surgery? Initially, it was just general, just surgery as a whole. I enjoyed all of the surgical subspecialties, um, and then I had a, 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 a actually a, a resident. I I I elected to uh, spend a time, actually a two-week period, on plastic surgery in Calgary. Um, and I had a resident uh, who's still a, a, a good friend who's just an extraordinary mentor. His name was Earl Campbell. He's a plastic surgeon in Calgary. And he was, uh, I think, a third-year resident when I was a medical student. And he just had this incredible enthusiasm for everything he did, including the specialty of plastic surgery. And um, I remember just going on rounds the very first day, and I saw the most grotesque at the time. I felt the most grotesque things that I've ever seen in my life. And but but it was just so interesting. It was surgery hap- or exact effect. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember there was a gentleman with a t- just a terrible burn, a kind of a almost all-encompassing burn of his and just about entire body. I saw a, a person that had a terrible injury from a from a propeller from a. Um, a, a boating accident, and then there was a gentleman had, who had just had his uh, esophagus replaced by a jejunum, a jejunal flap, and he had a small piece of bowel sticking out of the side of his neck as a monitoring segment, so the kind of the canary of the the coal mine to tell them that everything was okay underneath. And I mean, all of these, literally, these three people I saw in the in the span of probably fifteen minutes on rounds, and I I I was. I mean, first of all, I was I was horrified. I was fascinated. Yeah. I was amazed, and 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 I think just uh, this 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 resident just kind of gelled it all for me, and he brought it together, and he told me all the things that were that, that they were capable of, all the things that they were doing, all the the kind of the new horizons, and it was fascinating. Yeah, because I think I, we talked about this before. There's there's a little bit of a misconception that plastic surgery is sort of cosmetic elective surgery, right? But no, the vast majority of it is what you just discussed. People who've had accidents or are born with birth defects that impact their quality of life, or reconstructive surgery after surgery. That it's it's uh, plastic surgery. I think you gave a percentage. Isn't it like a, a the majority of all surgeries or something like that it's i think what we talked about last time is is that there was a um uh actually the the earthquake in um oh gosh i I can't remember how many years ago in um turkey 
it was a, a mass casualty kind of a situation and they looked at the different specialties that were involved in the care of the patients and about 60 to 80% of the patients required a plastic surgeon. So it, you're absolutely right. Reconstructive surgery is, a, is an incredible part of, of plastic surgery and is probably one of the larger parts of plastic surgery. Yeah, and absolutely. Do you, do you find that, that that is a bit of a, a misnomer that I general think public right. thinks? I think you're right. I think you're right. The association yeah. of plastic surgery yeah. with aesthetic surgery is, right. is pretty immediate in the, in, with most folks, yeah. So you were fascinated when you fascinated yeah. and, and this... It, it, was it like the the light bulb moment? This is what I want to do. I, looking it, looking back at it, I think you're yeah absolutely because at the certainly at the end of that two week period, I had I had looked at other surgical subspecialties and I would kind of almost decided on other surgical subspecialties. But at the end of that two week period, I was sold and I I kind of rearranged all of my elective time and uh, and and threw all of my everything I had into into kind of the the plastic surgical hat. So what makes someone a great surgeon? What are the skills you need? I think a little bit of an engineering brain is, is helpful. Um, and then I think dexterity, absolutely. Um, and, and, and that kind of that, that engineering brain and the dexterity, I think, is just kind of uh, played more into my, my uh, reconstructive side, I think, and, and kind of brought me back into that age six basement <laughs> workshop. <laughs> so, so there you go. The skills you learned then. <laughs> there you go. Or came it. So, at what point did you come here to Ohio State in the James in your career? Was that right after med school, or no? I've, I've, you know, I got here as fast as I could, as they say in Texas. But no, I went to Texas first. Um, so I, I, when I finished medical school, I, um, uh, so I, I finished residency. I, I uh, completed a fellowship, and the fellowship was in micro microsurgery and reconstructive microsurgery, and and it was at a cancer center. It was at MD Anderson in Houston, um, and again, an extraordinary group of mentors there that 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 taught me things that I never thought were possible beforehand. Um, and uh, following that, I actually stayed on staff there. Um, the, the the chairman, the Dr. Jeff Rob, was kind enough. He he took pity on me, and he. Uh, <laughs> He hired me, and so I was there for 13 years, um, for uh, yeah, almost 14 years, I think, as faculty, and a, a, a extraordinary experience as well. I mean, I think just an, uh, a great, uh, great patient population and and wonderful colleagues. Um, and then Mike Miller, actually, who was the, the the department chair at the time here at OSU, had uh, had kind of recruited me over a few years. He we got kind of looked at uh, uh, Columbus and Ohio State, and. Um, eventually, then uh, uh, Rafe Pollock um, uh, came from MD Anderson as well, and I knew him well. and And he, um, uh, I, I asked him his honest opinion because he had he had just arrived at OSU and he was just raving about OSU. And then I met Bill Farr, in fact, uh, during a, a visit, uh, and and I think that that certainly sealed the deal. Now, and Bill Farr, just so for so people know, yeah. the former legendary, longtime, forty plus years head of the Spielman. Correct. And one of the the most accomplished breast cancer surgeons, doctors around. So he absolutely, was your the final he he nailed he got you to come here. That's correct. Cool. Yeah, I think I mean it had a huge impact. Yeah, but you came here specifically. I think microsurgery was what you were going to do here. So correct. In in a really brief period, I know it's complicated. How would you describe to someone who doesn't know what microsurgery is? Describe that. Uh, in a minute or less. <laughs> Got it. So <laughs> I'll start the timer. No, thank you. The microsurgery is um, a way of, of, of reconstructing uh, parts of the body that are missing or injured 
um, with hopefully as close a, a, an approximation of what's missing as possible. So, for example, if you're if you're missing a portion of your lower jaw, um, and especially if it's in the front, it really needs to be replaced with something that's very similar. Now we have a leg bone um, that is expendable, relatively expendable, that you can still walk, run without that portion of your leg bone, and we can take that um, and transplant it up here and recreate a new jaw. Um, and that may also include some of the lining of the mouth, for example. And so there's skin to be had that can come with that leg bone. What microsurgery refers to then is, is that, that that construct, that's that block of tissue that gets moved from one part to the body to another, needs to have a, a blood supply that needs to be maintained constantly to have oxygen nutrients delivered to that block of tissue. Otherwise, it will survive. Yeah, it would just die. Exactly right. It would have to be removed. Exactly right. And so that's where the microsurgery comes in, is, is connecting these tiny little blood vessels that are usually on the order of somewhere between one to two millimeters in diameter. Um, that, so it's the blood vessels that are already there in the chin exactly. with the new ones that you're bringing exactly from right. the leg. Exactly right. And yeah. so that same concept of, of reconstructive microsurgery can be applied to other areas. So the breast, for example, we could steal a little bit of um, fat and skin from the tummy with a blood vessel, shape that into a breast, and then transplant it up to the, uh, uh, to the, the chest. And really... It, 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 it's a matter of kind of marrying uh, the, 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 the donor side, the area where we can take it from without you know, doing, uh, doing any significant destruct, destruction in that side with, with rebuilding the, the, the area where we need to bring it to. So we could take it from the medial thigh for the breast. We could take it from the abdomen. We can take it from the buttock. So lots of areas where we could potentially take from and, and recreate something or rebuild something new elsewhere with, with the connection of these little blood vessels. Well, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna maybe jump a, even to something more uh, high tech. As I met someone who was one of your patients who had a sarcoma in his leg, and unfortunately had to have I'm not sure I, I don't know if it was below the knee or above the knee, but he had to have it removed. And you did something called TMR surgery. You and Joel Meyerson here, who's a great orthopedic surgeon, yep. teamed up, and it has something to do with connecting nerves. What, explain what that is, TF, the TMR surgery that, yeah. that you did and how it was to create or to prevent that phantom limb um, pain. Yeah. pain right? You're absolutely right, yeah. So the concept, I mean, is, is absolutely fascinating. And, and again, I'm, I'm standing on the shoulders of other people that, that you know, kind of that, that have done much of the work. Um, but the idea was initially is, is that you could take um, the nerves, the motor nerves that um, that used to innervate a portion that is is being removed, is being amputated, and you could take the at the 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 site where the nerve was cut, you could take some portions of that nerve and reconnect them to little pieces of muscle in that area of the amputation stump, and then um, the idea really was is that then you could ultimately use a prosthesis. That would percutaneously sense, meaning through the skin, it would sense when that little these little muscle packets are contracting underneath the skin. And we certainly have sensors that can do that. Um, There's actual sensors in the prosthesis. So it's absolutely right. So the idea was is that you would build these uh, prostheses that have sensors in them that can sense when there's contraction of a muscle, and and then by by innervating by by connecting these little muscle uh, these little nerve bundles to different muscles in different locations you could have contraction in different parts of that stump and that could be sensed. And then your brain, obviously, if it's activating, uh, for example, if you're, 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 you're missing your hand, let's say, and you're, it's, you're activating your wrist extensors, meaning you're moving your wrist backwards, 
um, your your brain is sending that impulse, even though the hand may not be there. But it so then it would be activating one of these little neur, uh, these little muscle bundles that have been newly innervated. If you're flexing, another one would 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 contract. If you're moving it this way, something else. Or if you're grasping, something else would contract. And so the idea was that that you could build a prosthesis that would pick this up, and that could then be controlled by your brain just the way the hand was controlled before and the more of these little muscle packets you can build the 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 more intricate the movement could be oh so it improves movement well so that was the initial that was the 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 targeted muscle reinnervation the tmr that was the initial um thought and it actually it does work i mean it's been it's been um uh, put into reality and and folks have those types of prostheses but as a side effect, what we found is, is that um, when we did that procedure, uh, that the, the patients actually had much less pain postoperatively and, and had much lower rates of phantom pain, which is something that uh, any amputee can get where they, right. they, they, they have the, uh, the, the, the sensation that the limb is not only still there, but there's an uncomfortable sensation in that limb that is gone, but is still perceived to be there by the brain. So you can have pain, you can have burning, you can have itching. All kinds of different uh, stimuli, different sensations that are uh, that are uncomfortable, and this prevents that. Exactly right. Exactly right. It it really decreases the incidence of that, and so, so that's where it's been applied. Then not just for these very very elaborate prostheses, but also to reduce uh, phantom pain. So now, while your specialty is breast cancer, you you can do this for any other parts of the body because this was a leg, and you just work with other the other orthopedic oncology surgeons here and and do as as a team you absolutely right yeah yeah so what other parts of the body have you done that this for so we i mean so the, the again kind of coming back to my training the training being microsurgery is kind of it was right. head to toe and it was kind of head and neck down to the, the, the tiptoes kind of thing um and so the 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 same uh the, the same principles certainly apply all over the body and so we've applied it certainly to to amputation limbs uh, upper lower extremity as well as the breasts now, um, and that's a really exciting new field for I think for anybody in the sense that I think we've underestimated um, breast pain uh, that that occurs because it's an, in a way it's an amputation. It's still the removal of an organ with sen- with sensory input and little nerves connected to it. Um, so in the removal of, in a mastectomy, the removal of a breast, you would how, what would you do with the nerves? The ending, it's the endings, right? Cause correct. You would. Correct. So we would we would use the same technique. We would find a, a, a small packet of this. A, a, we we call it kind of an, an interface where where some sensory uh, some uh, some motor nerve um, uh, can be identified that we can connect to. So an expendable a, a nerve that's otherwise expendable, where we could take the the sensory uh, nerve that probably has mostly sensation to it. We can connect it to that, and for some reason, this interaction, the nerve to nerve interaction. Is much more comfortable to the body than when the nerve is just left raw, like a dead end. Exactly, dead end is connected. Exactly, and there's just nerves all throughout your chest that you can find. And exactly right. Wow, that's how how small is a nerve? So it depends on the nerve. We have, I mean, so in the 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 lower extremity, we have some nerve bundles that are that are probably the size of my little finger. Everything's bigger in the leg. Well, and you have you have they're they're arborizing. They're going to be you know dividing into so many smaller nerves more distally, um, uh, kind of as you get closer to the foot. 
Um, but the, the, the nerves kind of that we, we deal with here that come between the ribs medially and or uh, kind of in the, along the armpit in that area, uh, they tend to be about, uh, about a millimeter or so, a millimeter and a half or so in diameter. What does that mean, a millimeter? Um, so uh, probably a, a, a pencil lead. Uh, so kind of in, in you know the the, the 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 old fashioned pencil, not the yeah. the, the the automatic. So pencil. you can sew one to the other that small. Oh, we have the ability to so much smaller than that. Yeah, yeah. So You're with super the super imaging and, and and it's all about the equipment. That's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean I think we have so we have a, an incredible amount of uh, fantastic support through the James. We have we have uh, two of the the kind of the greatest high tech microscopes, operating microscopes that that you can find anywhere in the world, and so uh, they allow us to do some some extraordinary things. I I think we can we can comfortably sew a, a tubular structure, um, so a vessel of some sort uh, down to about 0.3 millimeters. Wow. Um, so that's yeah. That's a so that's that's yeah. We're talking about now the 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 the, the electric pencil or kind of the, the mechanical pencil lead uh, size. And then if you think about it, it's not just that. It's we're actually taking the wall of that and and marrying it to another wall. So we're putting like four to five to six sutures in in that pencil lead around the Because these nerves are hollow in the middle, and you can't just connect them. You have to right. connect it so things will run through the. Correct. Well, exactly right. So the, the outer covering of the nerve is really what we what we what we marry together. So yeah. even though the nerve might be a a, a pencil lead, yeah. the wall of it is much much thinner. Connecting yeah. is much thinner. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about your new position as medical director of the Spielman. Great. Thank you. In today's world, misinformation abounds. But at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, we're addressing today's most relevant health, wellness, science, and research topics, all from the Ohio State experts you can trust. We're tapping into physicians, scientists, and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals, society, and the world. Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with Roman Skaraki, the medical director of the Spielman. And before I forget, I have another um, friend who you operated on. Um, this was a mastectomy. And she said that in pre-surgery, as she was, I think, being sedated, you came in to talk to her and that you were very calm and soothing as you explained all the procedure and that you massaged her foot or feet and that that really helped her relax and, and not be afraid. Is that <laughs> something you do from time to time? I, yeah. You know what? I think I like to be standing at the bedside when the patient goes to sleep. I feel like that, that moment where you, you know, where you lose control yeah. really, where you, you kind of really hand it over to us is, I think is, um, is a, it can be a tough moment. Um, and so I usually, I either hold a hand or, or, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll hold their foot or something. Yeah. And, just to to let them know that that we're there, that um, there there is a, a it's not a, a sterile connection that we have. You know, it's very much a human connection. Often we talk about some imagery. I'll I'll talk to them about where would you love to be right now. You know, like what okay. so, is is the beach your favorite? And we'll talk about you know the palm trees all around. Just close your eyes and as you drift off, kind of think about that. And so um, I think the, the 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 thought then is just really about kind of how do they perceive this environment that's so strange where everybody is trying to get things ready and it it can have a you know not just 
like not just physically, but actually emotionally a very sterile environment, you know, um, and try to make that, try to make that disappear and fade into yeah, darkness. It sort of has to be a very sterile environment. You can't, exactly right. And, exactly right. It's like the definition, right, of, yeah, of the sterile environment. And you're used to it, but yeah, we're not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and I think yeah. that that's, that, I, I think that that is an incredible, and it's an important thought that, that, you know, does go through my mind each time to think this is, you know, this is every day for us. This is multiple times a day for well, us. Well, I can tell you it worked with this, this person I, I know. She, I mean, I'm very touched to hear that. Very, yeah. She nice. felt an instant connection to you. That's nice. So that nice. can, can it continue yeah. since she's yeah. still yeah. your patient. So let's talk about. It's been about a year. You you replaced Bill Farr, who really who trained under the Doctor James that the James was right. was named for and helped build the Spielman Center. And yeah. his, so first, what was it like replacing Bill? And then sort of what's your leadership plan or the direction you want to take the Spielman in? How many hours do we? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think I mean obviously Bill Farr is as you you mentioned you, you referred to him earlier as legendary. He he is a, an absolute legend uh, and continues to be so in many of our lives. I mean he's still an incredible mentor. I I call him routinely. I I had a breakfast with him not not too long ago and I pick his brain on a regular basis. Who paid for, who paid for breakfast? <laughs> I did. I, no, you know what? I think I did. Yeah, and I owe it to him. He's retired. He's retired. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. But uh, yeah, so he actually was uh, the the one you yep, so I, who who planned for the breast center and, and literally built the breast center, yeah. opened the breast center, and was the medical director, um, and has left an incredible legacy. I mean, he's built a, an extraordinary program that I would say would hold up against any program in the in the world. Um, I think that what we deliver there is is cutting edge um, technology, cutting edge knowledge, cutting edge um, research, and certainly cutting edge patient care. Um, which is really exciting, and so it's a it's a, a an incredible foundation to kind of f- to to step onto and 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 to think about uh, kind of adding on to. So in a way, he paved the way because it's so it's so well organized. But Absolutely. also, there's a little pressure to live up to. <laughs> so I can see. I think I, I I think I left the pressure at the door. I, I said, "There's no way I'm living up to Bill Farr," but. But if I can, if I can keep things going in that direction, I think certainly he's an incredible inspiration. So, well, when you say keep things going in that direction, his legacy is always take what's next. We're gonna what can right. we do better? Exactly right, and that always exactly. continues because there's always exactly. breakthroughs exactly. in surgery yeah. and yeah. immunotherapy. Yeah. So. Yeah. What is next? What how? Oh, so you... I, and I tell you that I think that we we talked a little bit before this. I think one of the kind of the examples or one of the kind of the stories that is always in the back of my mind is is working with Bill Farr when you know when he was still extremely active, um, kind of looking at this gentleman who was who was very much the history of 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 present day cancer care, but up until the day that Dr. Farr retired, he was still the innovator. I mean, he was he would embrace anything that made sense, anything that was new, innovative, uh, and and he obviously had the capability, the skills to to realize all of those things and to turn them into uh, uh, clinical patient care. Um, and so I think that that's the idea is, is to kind of carry that forward, to never become, never be stagnant. You know, not to. I think we 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 know what we do extremely well. Um, but to kind of push further. Um, and I think then it, it's really my role is really kind of getting out of the way of this incredible talent that is the Stephanie Spielman Breast Center. And that's the faculty, that's the nursing, that's 
the support staff. That's our uh, your, your your mid-level providers, our advanced practice providers. Um, uh, but when you say get out of the way, uh, I think what you mean is not micromanage them, but provide them with the resources exactly they need. Right. That's exactly so, it. it. Recognizing where there is uh, where there is talent, and maybe and, and not just where there's talent, but recognizing where there may be a struggle or where there may be a stumbling block for that talent and saying, let me, you know, let me try to eliminate that I for you to help you. Exactly right. So you mentioned clinical trials and I know there's, and research. So what are some of the things that you think you hope are going to come out of these clinical trials and some new research, maybe not immediately, but a year, two years, five years down the road? Yeah, and I think if I speak for the Stephanie Spielman Center, I really kind of have to almost break it down into subspecialties. Okay. So I think we're talking about our, our surgical oncologists where robotic uh, nipple sparing mastectomy, for example, is a, is a trial that's ongoing where we're trying to really minimize the, um, the, the size of the incisions and the, and the, um, the invasiveness of the procedure. Um, uh, obviously, then moving on to medical oncology we're we're hoping that uh you know and that's really where we're incredible discoveries coming up with with different combinations of immuno with traditional uh, chemotherapy with a multi-agent um um uh, therapies that have a tremendous impact um we're, we're hoping that maybe in the future we won't even need surgery you know that that's kind of the ultimate goal obviously so how would you avoid surgery that immunotherapy would be so effective well and that's the question is this really can and 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 you know they're they're one of the one of our investigators is kind of looking at these very large data sets to see if there are subpopulations that we can already combine certain agents with where where maybe we can de-escalate some of the other meaning reduce some of the other therapies the surgical therapy maybe the radiation therapies that we're that we're delivering so that all of these things are certainly ongoing and are are are, are being looked at uh, at the Stephanie Spielman at the James. Um, in 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 kind of plastic surgery, we hope that we'll have an extraordinary impact on lymphedema. For example, uh, one of my colleagues is is leading the charge of kind of uh, uh, looking at uh, uh, doing breast reconstruction or offering breast reconstructions even in patients where we don't think that there is an area where they may have quite enough tissue. But combining two or three, maybe even four areas of the body uh, to to rebuild one or two breasts. Um, so there's there kind of in every area there's an incredible amount of 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 kind of innovation going on currently. So I've had an, an opportunity and an ongoing opportunity to kind of meet literally, as you said, with everybody in the building, which has been just incredibly eye-opening to me. Um, it, and it and, and very humbling uh, for that very reason. I think that there is, uh, you know, you, I, 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 there's no way that I will ever be an, an expert in, uh, you know, in, in, in medical oncology. Never mind, you know, subspecialty breast medical oncology, and then a field within that. Uh, but I have a, a, a tremendous uh, kind of uh, group of, of experts that are very patient with me <laughs> and and are willing to explain and so i've learned a tremendous amount and continue to learn a tremendous amount of all and that i haven't even mentioned radiation oncology i mean so many things are going on there and and you know all of these subspecialties um imaging again dr holly's group i mean is is extraordinary has taught me a great deal i'm I, on, almost on a routine basis every week during my clinic i run upstairs to the third floor where our where our radiologists are housed and 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 learn something about about new techniques about you know kind of the, the the reads on the films and and so it's been that's been a very rewarding but also daunting part of the job. So what have you learned about yourself this past year <laughs> as as the leader of, of, of one of the best comprehensive breast 
cancer centers in the world? Um, that's a really hard question. Yeah. I should probably ask I saved, my wife. I saved that for the last. <laughs> <laughs> so, my wife was much more insightful, thankfully. Oh, okay. Uh, um, does, she, does she see less of you now? <laughs> I, I definitely. Yeah, definitely. And then I think that's that's one of the things is it's been it's been um, a challenge to kind of uh, pull back in some other areas and and, and I mean I, I do what I love and and I, I, I surgery because I yeah yeah exactly and and yeah and the plastic surgery and and the research within plastic surgery so something has to give a little bit um, and so pulling back has been has been a real challenge. It's hard to let go of things. It is and, it is difficult. Yeah, to let go. isn't that it's difficult? To I, I, in talking to different leaders, yeah. that's. Because you see patients, you have a clinic, you do surgery, you're yeah. now in meetings, yeah. so you need to learn yeah. delegation. Yeah. Well, and, and as you said earlier, I mean, I think that that personal connection that you form with the patient, and yeah. especially in breast surgery and breast reconstructive surgery, I mean, I, I see my patients for a year, I mean, for many, many years. Um, and so it, it it's it's a part of, of, of being a physician, of being in this role that, uh, that, that is impossible to give up. You know, that's why we're here. That's the, that's the very foundation of what we do and what, what keeps us doing what we do every day. And so it, it's difficult to steal packets of time from, especially from that. Um, but, uh, but that's certainly something. And in fact, I had a, a discussion with my department chair earlier today, who, who again is extraordinary, unbelievably supportive and very insightful. And she, she said, you know, I'm, I'm not giving you permission to cut back. I'm I'm ordering you to cut back because <laughs> I need to protect you from yourself. And and I think that's that that's the lesson that I'm 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 currently learning is this the really... one thing you won't cut back on is your time with your patients. No, no. So that, uh, see that and and see that you are carrying on that legacy from Bill Farr, who from before him, Doctor James, because that connection with your patients. Right, right. And you're right. And I think that that's what, what energizes us, what keeps us going, what makes the long hours very much worthwhile, you know, where where you say, I can, I, you know, you look somebody in the eye and you say, I, I want to do everything I can for you. I want to, you know, kind of go that extra mile to try to find the next, the you know, the next person that will be able to have that cure for you or, you know, and and, and build that infrastructure to 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 assemble the team that can help you. Well, I really appreciate it with your limited time and you trying to cut back that you're still able <laughs> to do this podcast. We won't tell you your boss who told you to cut back. But I will tell you that this has been very a great introspection, so it's been very, very useful. This is a, a very condensed way to kind of to, oh. to arrange my time better. So oh, thank okay. you. So I can we can help you. We'll get organized. Yes, there you go. Tell that to everyone else who will want to be on the podcast. We'll do. We'll do. Thank okay. you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.